Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. So Steve, last time we talked about betrayal trauma in part one, talked about betrayal trauma generally and what happens when a spouse finds out about her husband's betrayal and what's it normal to feel and not feel? How does that affect the sexual relationship generally? Yeah. What happens if I feel like I'm done with the relationship? Is that acceptable? Uh Uh-huh. Just different general expectations. And in this episode, part two of betrayal trauma, We're going to talk more specifically to the spouse, to the wife, and what she's feeling, what are the symptoms, her own healing process, what are boundaries that she can start to set. So if the men are listening to this, go get your wives because this is specifically (laughs) for her. But I'm going to point out, don't (laughs) consider this to be just for my wife and I can walk away because you husbands are going to get some incredibly valuable insights is you listen to us talk about these things for your wife. Mark speaks the truth, guys. Uh, If you are smart, you will pay really close attention to this episode. So we're going to try and give you a little bit of insight into the world of your wife and some of the things that she is dealing with and some of the things that she's working on. So yeah, yep, absolutely. So let's uh, kick right into this and talk about symptoms. Awesome. What does betrayal trauma feel like? What, what does it sound like? What does it, what does it say in your head? And, how does it feel in your heart? Oh gosh, there's so much to say with this, right? <laughs> I <laughs> it's like where do you begin? Um, you dear sweet wives, I uh, we so appreciate you and the work you're doing. Um, when we look at uh, when we look at at uh, the symptoms of betrayal trauma, I guess you kind of have to do a real quick recap of one thing that we talked about last week, which is that uh, you can look at trauma in many different ways, but probably the most accurate way in the context of betrayal trauma is, is through the grief and loss model, meaning that we're going to look at it uh, through 
through uh, the loss of something significant. No, not really any different than if you were to lose a parent or a spouse or something like that. Because after betrayal, like we talked about last time, there is no, there is, you know, trauma is a one-way street. There's no way to undo it and just go back to this, you know, this place pre-trauma. Um, we're now dealing with a new organism and, and the brain uh, is, is among other things, when it's in that trauma response, it's trying to kind of map that out, that new reality. Um, so it causes a, a wife or a spouse to do a lot of different things in pretty rapid fashion. Now, these are going to vary uh, between uh, from spouse to spouse, but these are some of the real basics that we see, and they're, they are pretty consistent. So the first is definitely a withdrawal and isolation from relationships. Now, a lot of people are going to think, oh, well, that makes total sense, right? Of course, I'd withdraw from my husband. And that is true. Um, there is that pulling back, right? The brain is saying, this person isn't safe. Uh, I need to protect myself. I need to keep myself safe. And so it starts to withdraw. But what we see with wives, is we, as, as I work with wives in my office, it's very common for that isolation to bleed through. And Mark's going to talk about this here in a couple minutes, but it, to bleed through into other relationships well beyond just the marriage. So wives will have a hard time not just trusting their spouse when he says something, they begin to question all of their other relationships. Kind of like what we alluded to last week. If he could pull, if my own husband could pull this over my eyes, what else could he do? So that would be, that would be one to be on the lookout for. So it's very difficult for a wife to oftentimes even be emotionally open and authentic with others. And that's only compounded by the shame that she oftentimes feels either about her husband's addiction or what people are going to think about it or whatever the case is. So all of those things kind of feed in on, on women sort of pulling back, unfortunately, from and tragically from the very support system that could be potentially of help. Uh, the second one, and I'm sure you wives can relate to this, is that emotional variability. Um, you probably have, if you're listening to this podcast, I'd say it's probably a good, there's a good chance that you know what it's like to wake up in the morning and want to have sex with your husband in the morning and want to kill him in the evening and maybe everything in between. Um, <laughs> And that is, that again, is a totally normal part of this process. Uh, your brain, again, is going through kind of this place of trying to map out how do I handle this? What do I do with this information? And it's that brain wrestling it with itself where it's got that one part. Oh, wives will describe this to me where one half of me just loves him so much and he's my go-to for things. And then the other side is saying, but not in this thing, which is good because right now he's not safe and I can't be going to him for those things. And so these feelings of love and hate and everything in between are, are very common as, as you navigate this process. Uh, the difficulty to trust both self and others. Going back to what I said before, if, if anything can be pulled over, if, if my husband could keep something so big or so deep and pull my, my, my eyes over that or, or get me to buy into that or, or somehow get me to buy into his crazy thinking, then how can I trust anybody else? Who else is manipulating me? Um, can I even trust myself, right? My gut isn't working. Um, I, I trusted my gut for years and here I am. So that, uh, that is pretty prevalent. There's a real impact to the spiritual trust. There's a lot of God trauma tied up with that. Um, you know, for those who are faith-based or who hail from a Christian background, which is what I do, um, I, not from a betrayal trauma in a, in a spousal relationship, but I, I've experienced a lot of that God trauma right? It's that questioning of, you know, God tells me if I do good things, I'll get good stuff. And if I do bad things, bad things will happen. And when you're, when you're a spouse married to an addict who's causing all this damage and pain, it's very natural to start questioning, 
well, if I'm living right and, and we're on the quote right path, then why are we dealing with this? Why am I dealing with this? What does that mean? And then the last one that's probably the most common that we'd mention right now would be the obsessional thinking. So this would be uh, one, one way in which this manifests is what we call traumatic repetition, at least mental traumatic repetition, where we'll oftentimes go back and replay the trauma over and over and over. And then we go back and start questioning elements of our own reality from the past, right? Playing the what if game. What if I'd done X, Y, or Z thing this day? What if I'd been less angry or upset or critical about this area of life? What if, and, and all of those questions are, are understandable, but uh, they, the problem is, is they don't have any real answer in most cases. <laughs> and along with that, you, you can play woulda, coulda, shoulda in this game all day long. Um, you want to keep going back to what we talked about last week, is, which is staying grounded in the fact that, you know, this is today, this is where I'm at. Whatever happened last week or last year was that just that. It was then. And, and here I am today. How do I, again, not how do I go back to where I was? How do I move forward? Yeah, and I think, you know, Steve, it's easy to get into the place where uh, as wives are experiencing all of these symptoms, it has a big impact on uh, your sense of self-worth, your self-esteem. Am I normal? Am I crazy? Oh, yeah. Should I be thinking or feeling all of these things? And really the intensity of these responses to the betrayal is actually a testament to just how amazing the human brain is. It's always seeking, it's always asking really a primary question. What do all these things mean? Yeah. The brain yeah. Is, a, is, a, is always seeking for meaning and context. It's trying to unravel what's happening around me. And so as you feel the, the intensity of these emotions, as you're up, you're down, you're right. You said you, you love him one minute, you want to kill him the next. <laughs> It's really, it's really a testament to the fact that your brain is doing what it's designed to do, trying yeah. to figure it out, trying to unravel it, trying to make sense of it. And that's going to be a very confusing situation at first because it's weighing everything. And, it, and until you go through this healing process and this boundaries process that we're going to talk about today, it's a very raw response. And it's just the brain trying to settle in. I don't know what this means. I, I don't really know what to make of this yet. So the chaos of it actually is very normal and, and I would say actually very healthy. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I, I know that when you're in that place, right, it, you feel anything but okay. <laughs> like, like Mark mentioned, it's, uh, it's a very disturbing, very disconcerting, very unstable place because you're questioning everything. But like Mark said, I mean, that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Uh, if, if the fact that you are questioning, the fact that you are experiencing these emotions um, speaks to a couple things. One, it's a manifestation of that healthy attachment uh, that you've had with your, your spouse, with that uh, desire to have a marriage, desire to build a life, all those things, and that you care, right? It's evidence of that you actually care and you, you give a crap about this person and, and this relationship and everything you've built together. Um, yeah, I think I, I, as a therapist, I can tell you, I'd be much more concerned if, if a wife were to come in and just say, yep, these 45 things have happened to me. My husband, you know, and sleeping around on me for this long. And, and unfortunately I have seen reflections of this, but you know, that's just how it happens. And that's how life goes. That's how the cookie crumbles. And you know, that would be, that, that, that would be a much more tragic. Yeah. Uh, I, I get really concerned when there's a lack of emotion. Totally. You can see numbness. You can see people checking out where they should be feeling anger or confusion or resentment or these really intense emotions and they feel nothing. 
Yeah. You look at that's, that's a, a, those are things for great concern because that's a person who has become so hopeless and so shut down that they've just checked out. Yeah. And when that happens, really, you cannot begin the process of healing. It's yeah. the intensity of these emotions that really open up the way to start looking at these things in greater depth. Absolutely. No, I, I, I totally agree. And in fact, you know what, as we're just talking about these symptoms, this is probably a good time to talk about kind of how, you know, trauma links in the brain, uh, you know, from one situation to the next. We kind of mentioned how that withdrawal and isolation from relationships plays out, not just in, you know, the, the marriage, but also in other relationships. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know that's kind of, that's kind of your, your gig. Well, I love to talk about the difference between the male and female brain. And everyone's different, and I want to be careful to make sure I express to everyone, there, there are no absolute rules or laws about this. It's, it's generally speaking with most men, most women. But typically what happens with a, with a man in the male brain is we have this incredible ability to put everything in little boxes to compartmentalize. And so uh, one of the things that uh, my wife and I often joke about with regard to our past is, you know, we have a, we have an argument in the morning and uh, that <laughs> night I'm ready to have this, this great sex. Mm -hmm. And she's looking at me like, are you kidding? We had an argument this morning and I'm still upset at you. And my brain's going, well, what does the argument have to do with the fact that I want to have sex now? That's the, this is the sex box and that's the argument box. What's the problem? <laughs> and for uh, women, I like to say they have this wonderful satellite dish on their heads that's, that's you know, hmm, taking in all information and, and all input and really asking, okay, what, what does this mean as part of the whole? And so with women, often everything is connected to everything. And it's a wonderful part of evolution because typically women are, you know, they're, they're nurturing, they're, they're looking out for children and the overall relationship and everything going on. And they're just, they're scanning the landscape, really looking to see how is everything connected to everything. And it's this beautiful ability. Uh, I'm very envious of it because I tend to be very, narrowing and, and, and put, thing in put uh, things in boxes when I look at my wife. And sometimes I'll say, hey, can I plug into that amazing female brain of yours so that I can get a really wide connected perspective? Because I know I'm narrowing mm -hmm. here and I need, to, I need to get expansive. Yeah. But because of that wonderful female brain attribute, it can become frustrating or confusing because this thing with my husband and this betrayal seems to be spilling out into every aspect of my life. And, you know, I, I, yeah. I went and, and blew up at my children. What, in, what on earth does, do my children have to do with this situation going on with my spouse? Or I was at work and, and had an argument with so-and-so. It just seems like my whole life is falling apart. And yet it's just this one aspect. But for, for most women, it's all connected and it's impossible to start to segregate and separate it into different boxes, right? Everything affects everything. And that's totally healthy and normal, but it can be very frustrating as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, as you're sitting here talking about that, I mean, this, this, this whole concept of everything being interconnected, right? I think about uh, what uh, I had uh, taught to me at a training once when we were kind of going through some of the basics of trauma and the, the phrase comes to mind trauma webs um you know our brain is all is constantly kind of reaching 
and making links, right, between different experiences, sensations, emotions, and that's a constant ongoing process. It's that same process that in many ways helps the addiction to form in the brain as well as to, to, to build recovery. Um, but trauma works that same way. Uh, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but just kind of to bring that concept forward into what we're talking about now, um, if you're looking at simple versus complex trauma, simple trauma is where there's kind of this one-time event, the bottom falls out in an area of life, it's something that you grieve, you process, you work through, you move through, and then you move forward. But when you're talking about this complex trauma, which betrayal trauma almost always is, um, oftentimes what a wife is feeling isn't just a reflection of the, this single event of trauma, right? Oftentimes it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of maybe it's multiple traumatic events in the marriage. Um, when a husband does what we call a staggered disclosure, which is just kind of dribbling or dripping out, you know, kind of like the leaky faucet, little details of the addiction, you know, once a week or every other day or whatever the case may be, there's a re-traumatizing that happens with that. And, and for a spouse who's not just had trauma in her marriage, but maybe there, there's been trauma in other relationships where trust has been violated or where they haven't felt safe, it could be anything, right? It could be child abuse as a kid. It could be maybe it's a prior relationship, right? Um, all of those things kind of play into this whole notion of, of if you're going to work through this process and look at, look at the symptoms, it's, it's all about being kind to yourself and mapping out and understanding that, look, there are these, I am having these severe responses to this, but there are reasons why. Look at all these things that I've been through. Look at all these things that I've experienced, even though I may have overcome them and, and all of those things. That, those things, my past plays a huge role into how, how I interpret the present. And so I think that's just something to kind of keep in mind as we go through this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk, as we talk about these symptoms, uh, and now we start to get into really how uh, uh, the wife can start to begin her healing process. You know, I think about this concept of the authentic self, mm -hmm. because one of the first things that gets lost in this betrayal trauma process is I lose track of me. Who am I? What are, what are my genuine, authentic feelings? What, where, does, where does the betrayal stop and I begin? How do, you, how do you start to get in touch with that? And it's so important to help these women to start to understand what is authentic self because it's such a critical part of the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh, the authentic self, such a kind of a new agey concept, right? <laughs> sounds, sounds like, you know, something that you'd hear at a yoga retreat with, you know, uh, chimes going off in the background or something. But it, it really is something that, has a true application in, in, the, in the therapy world and not just in this area, but in, in many. And when we're talking about the authentic self and we're talking about this loss that happens when betrayal trauma occurs, in many ways, there is a loss of the authentic self. And maybe loss is the wrong way to put it as I'm thinking about it. It might just be a burying or a covering up of the authentic self. That trauma comes in and sets in and we move into that emotional, mental, physical survival mode, that fight, flight, or freeze response, which is many things. But I think, Mark, you and I can both agree is anything but your authentic self. Um, it's, it's, it's the brain's protection mechanism. And the authentic self is that person. It's kind of a combination of multiple things, right? It, one, it's that person who I am today 
absent of all the other social norms and constructs and everything else going on, but also it's that, that vision of who I want to be, right? If, and again, letting go of all those same things. If I let go of praise from the world or, you know, being looked up to by my peers and all those other things, what are those things in my life that drive me, that make me want to get up in the morning? What are those things that define me? Um, if you were a corporation, uh, your, uh, your authentic self would be kind of like your mission statement. You know how those corporations, they have all those mission statements that they never follow? Mm. This would be yeah. like if you, <laughs> they sound really good, but nobody does anything with them. That's kind of what the authentic self would be. I'm, uh, you know, I, I represent these things and this is the direction I want to go. The problem is, is that a lot of things get in the way of the authentic self. First is that trauma, right? We, it's very hard to be dreaming and thinking about the future when you're so mired in the present and in the traumatic past. The second thing, though, that oftentimes gets in the way, and this plays out, I think, for most of us more than we realize, but it often, often takes something like this to kind of bring it to the surface. Um, you know, we all, op- we all operate in this world of shoulds. I don't know how you feel about that, Mark, but I feel like I'm being, I'm being shoulded all over, like constantly. Um, there are things that I'm constantly being asked to do or to not do, um, expectations that are on me in every role that I have in life, right? And probably the case for you as a therapist, as a husband, as a father, as a, all, these, all of these different things. And in some ways, those expectations can be helpful, but if you're not careful, it's really easy for anyone, again, this is not a trauma discussion, this part of it, it's, it's, it's easy for any of us to get caught up in kind of the world's shoulds. You know, what should my job look like? How much money should I be making? Um, we, get, we best get in touch with that authentic self when we let go of the shoulds for a minute. If we just, and that's hard for a lot of us to do, but if I was to take, just take those off the table, right? Even the, even the, even the maybe the, the things that are closer, near, dear to our heart, well, this is, this is where some people get kind of nervous on a spiritual level, right? When I, I just did a presentation a couple of weeks back and, and when we were talking about this topic, um, you know, in, in my faith tradition, it's about letting go of, you know, what is the spiritual, what is the church culture that I'm a part of? Tell me on a cultural level about who I should be, what I should do, how I should do it. I have to get a little bit of reverent if I'm going to get in touch with that authentic self and just say, you know what, forget right versus wrong for a minute. Let's talk about healthy versus toxic and what things in my life are healthy for me and are taking me towards where I want to go, who I want to be, and what things are toxic or are taking me away or, or from where I want to be or where I want to go. Because even though the right and wrong has a value, it's an, it's an objective moral judgment call. And when you're trying to figure out who you are and what you're about, it really has limited capacity to really get you or to help you see yourself the way that you need to if you're going to move through this process successfully. Yeah. And one of the, you know, one of the things I see with the betrayal trauma side with the shoulds is that it's very natural for us, uh, you know, and especially for these, for the, the women that we're talking to on this podcast, as you see things falling apart, it's, it's natural to say, well, what if I, I should have done this or I could have done that. Mm -hmm. And you go back and try to figure out where did I go wrong? You know, if I had done this, maybe he would have behaved differently. And a big part of this authentic self and the healing process is to realize that he's responsible for his behaviors. And you're the big focus for you going forward now is your emotional, spiritual, physical, mental health. It's Love not it. about the should, should haves or could haves. It's what, what can I do going forward from today? 
in order to be healthy. And, you know, really um, getting through that tendency to try to live in the past and all the things that could have done, you could have done and should have done, what went wrong. It really, the most, the hardest part about healing is what do I do now today going forward? It's this present moment and forward moving that can be really tough because your brain wants to keep retreating backward, right? How do I figure this out? What went wrong? And that's a, that's a big part of this process. Hey everybody, Mark and Steve here. Are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level? We work with individuals and couples one-on-one. With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbsepodcast.com. Yeah. Oh, I, I just love everything. Ditto. Ditto to everything you just said. Uh, it's so true. Um, and, and, you know, again, if we're talking about those silver linings of, of the recovery process, obviously we'd, we'd much rather have these things to kind of come to the surface through less destructive or hurtful means. But one of those silver linings to this process is that there is a greater self-awareness that comes through recovery as you do it right. Frankly, I think the, most, the majority of the general population lives in much more of a cruise control state than they realize. Um, I think there's a lot of us that just, I mean, I, I teach this stuff for a living and, and I try to be deliberate in my living. And, and I know I even do this on some days where you just kind of hit and you go into cruise control, you do your thing, you go to work, you, you know, you go through and, and kind of check the boxes and then you go home and you kind of rinse and repeat. And the authentic self it has nothing to do with that. It's about getting out of cruise control and into the kind of that manual gear shift of, you know, what today, who am I, what do I want to be and what things do I need to do or can I do to take me just a little bit closer to that? So, well, um, yeah. And one of the, and one of the things that's a part of that. So what we've been talking about with the could have and should have is very much the, you know, the, the emotional brain reacting to the trauma, which is very normal and, Mm -hmm. and, and natural to do that. But as women, as these women go forward, one of the one of the hardest things. But to me, it's so essential, and and I know it's hard to get in tune with this. But you know, you talk, Steve, about this learning to go with your gut, mm-hmm. right? What is your inspiration? What is your connection to the divine, your higher power, and what you feel in your gut is the right thing to do today. And that's hard when all these emotions are spinning around in my mind, and I'm traumatized. How do I start to step into the place of going with my own inspiration, right? I love the word inspiration, which really means literally the breath of God, Mm. you know, his whisperings to me and boy, being an emotional trauma and then trying to get into that place of, of divine authentic connection and go with that. It's so hard because your, your survival brain screaming at you with all of these issues. And yet if you can kind of pause and, and just get into that quiet place, a lot of direction can come from your own natural intuitions and inspiration and guidance. And so le- learning to trust yourself, learning to trust your higher power. Now, you know, don't you think that's a big part of this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, 
and going back to the trauma side, right? That's one of the first things that goes out the window, which is honestly one of the parts that really just miffs me on a personal level with, with uh, betrayal trauma, because it does, it causes a person not just to question even the world around them. Women that I work with have a very difficult time just trusting what they're thinking. And unfortunately, and I say this with all the love in the world, the men that they're oftentimes married to, whether it's on purpose or not, are oftentimes exhibiting different thinking errors and ways of viewing the addiction, either through minimizing it or, or deflection or, what else, what, or just out and out deception, right? We're going to talk about those another day. But all those things kind of feed into that, right? How do I trust my gut? Like, I don't even know what's true, what's not. I have no way of separating it. And I'm relying on this person, right, that I'm married to for information in this area, but trust is at an all-time low right now. It's going to get better, but right now it's, it's difficult. And so uh, when, when, when you're going with your gut, uh, that's a big skill to, uh, that wives have to work on. And, and even if you just start off in small little ways, and we're going to talk about setting boundaries here in just a minute, that's a great way to start. But just learning to you know, trust yourself again is a big part of that authentic self. Giving yourself permission to mess up giving yourself permission to make mistakes to kind of figure out what that person's going to be and recognize that it's just going to evolve because this authentic self that should be noted too. this person is constantly changing and evolving. Anybody who knows who their authentic self is and says that, and that I, and that notion of that hasn't changed in, you know, a year or two years or three years in my mind, they're probably not quite as in tune with it as they could be because it is, it's, we're always evolving and changing. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say in this, you know, if I were listening to this, I'd say, well, how in the world do I get in touch with my gut? I, mm. I, I'm not even, I don't even know what I'm feeling a lot of the time. I don't know who's me and who's my emotions and who is God. How in the world do you sort all that out? And as I think about that, I, I love this concept that we call surrender. And if I'm speaking to the women right now, if I was to recommend a tool to them, it's this ability to really, to realize I am not my brain. I am not my emotions. Mm. There is a higher me, right? The highest self, the truest self. Mm -hmm. And if I can pause and stop in the moment of this turmoil and chaos, and I know that's not easy, but if I can just pause and just surrender that over, just kind of put that over on a shelf and just leave it there for a minute and just try to be in a, just a little temporary place of peace. And I can just ask, my higher mm. power, what do I need right now in this moment? What do I need most? I know what I'm feeling. I know I'm in turmoil and, you know, I'm, I'm panicked or I'm angry or I'm confused or resentful. But if I can set that aside for a second and say, what do I really need right now? And then I can just listen. What I found is that little insights will come. Little ideas, little impressions will come in that moment of pause. and I like to say that's little tender mercies that that's grace that I need right now to get some direction that I can't come up with myself. Yeah. And you'll get those. That's the gut. You know, we call it the gut feeling. You'll get those little impressions. And then the real trick is to follow them when they come, even though your brain's screaming at you, well, that won't work or I don't have time for that. Or really that's, that's your solution. Hmm. But you'll mm -hmm. see those little ideas come and, and when you can act upon them, you'll find that it's enormously helpful. You, you feel like I'm not alone. There's little impressions and little helps coming to me. 
And that surrender process has been so helpful for a lot of people. Uh, I so appreciate that. Yeah, we're going to, we'll probably do multiple podcasts on the just the concept of surrender another day. That's a, I know, right? That is a humongous topic, but, but I totally agree. Very applicable here to what we're talking about um, as you're going through this process. Um, there are, well, let's see. So if we were to talk about and kind of shift gears here a little bit and talk about how to begin the healing, right? We've spent the better part of a couple of episodes. We've given some tools, but we've talked a lot about kind of the profile of betrayal trauma, what it looks like, how it feels, all the symptoms, all those things. So let's, let's talk tools. Let's talk about uh, how to begin the healing process. Um, there are multiple stages to this process. And again, this would be 10 podcast episodes all on its own and probably will be over time. But if we, if we get really into the basics, let's kind of deal with the square one for, if we, if we can, Mark, we'll just kind of talk to those spouses who are, you know, either early on in this process, or maybe they're not early on in this process, but where maybe full disclosure either hasn't happened yet or is, or has just recently happened and they're kind of coming to grips with some of the basics. Um, the first one, uh, first concept with, with this beginning the healing and, and uh, moving forward is, is learning how to get back and establish, build uh, basic safety, right? Um, we're going to talk about uh, boundaries in a podcast episode or two, both for you spouses, for you addicts, and then also an episode on, on, the, uh, on the coupleship. Um, but if we were to talk real basics, the, the kind of boundaries that I'm thinking of or these basic safety uh, questions are, you know, what's the living situation, right? So that'd be the first one. Um, is it safe right now for me to be living emotionally and or physically uh, with my spouse right now? Is the environment in which I'm in, is it a place where I can recover? Um, do I need to move out? Do we need to separate? Do I just need to take a couple of days? Do I not need to do any of those things? Um, all of those options that I just listed are all acceptable options. Um, and, and even beyond that, there are lots of ways to kind of navigate that out with a therapist or sponsor or someone trusted. Um, but, but being honest with yourself, going back to that authentic self, right? If we let go of the shoulds, right? Oh, well, I'm a mom and we have kids together and what are they going to think? And, you know, how are they going to view their dad? You, you got to let go of all of those things. I know that's easier said than done, but those are the things that we're talking about that will hold you back in this process. I have worked with wife after wife, for example, who has stayed in a living situation too long to be out of a place of fear for what it would do to the kids or to her marriage. And it actually ended up hurting the very thing she was trying to protect. Recovery took a lot longer. The marriage continued to deteriorate more. And it was only once we took those steps that things sort of started to improve. And by the same token, it goes the other way as well. Uh, there, there will be, there'll be cases where, you know, the initial response is just, I got to get out of there. I got to move. I got to go do something different. Um, when, and, and in the short term, maybe that's the case, but again, this is where a therapist can be so helpful someone, you know, unbiased with some training who can help you to see that, yeah, you know, it's good to take space for maybe this amount of time or in these, these ways, but how do we begin the healing? How do we begin the reunification? How do we begin bringing the two of you back together um, as soon as we can start on that process? Um, so that would be a big part. Um, the legal issues uh, involved, uh, and this is the scary stuff we don't always like to talk about, but um, if we were to kind of look at that for a second, uh, it's important to understand the gravity of what your husband's involved in. Um, if it's involving anything that it's illegal, be it uh, with children or minors, um, there could be, that could open you, you and him up to some pretty significant legal stuff. So 
um, having that conversation with him and going with your gut, like we talked about, figuring out what it is you need in that way. If you aren't able to get accurate information, as something to keep in mind. Um, and, then, and then we've also got kind of like potential health concerns, right? Again, these are the things that we don't want to think about. But if, you're, if you suspect that your, your partner's been, you know, having intercourse or other sexual contact with somebody besides you, please, 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 please don't go to that place of, oh, if I get an STD test, what will that look like? Or any of those things that we, we tend to worry about, please just go get tested. Um, it's so much better off the bat to know where you stand, where, where you're at, rather than if something, you know, scary is coming up uh, to, to wait down the road to try and address that. So those would be some of the, uh, some, some of the basic things that I would recommend. What would you, anything you'd add to that? No, I think those, yeah, I think that's the basic foundation. Um, maybe we can shift gears a little bit and talk about some to do's hmm. you know, as these women are listening to this podcast. What, what would we recommend at this stage in this training that they actually start doing? And so assignment, we always give assignments in these podcasts. So what's the assignment? Oh, I feel like I'm talking a lot this week. We're going to make Mark talk more <laughs> next week. <laughs> Far too much. I apologize. But uh, if we were looking at, uh, looking at that, uh, going kind of in this light of establishing that basic safety. Um, now, it's important to know we're, we're, what's, everything that we've talked about in the last five, 10 minutes or so is all about establishing basic safety. Recovery cannot happen if you are not emotionally and or physically safe. You have to set those basics up first if you're going to make real progress, it's probably one of the number one mistakes I see couples make. They try to, they try to kind of skip this part of the process and just say, oh, of course we're safe. And they try to just kind of move into the others. I promise you the, the process will be quicker, more efficient, less damaging, less taxing if you just take the time to do this at the beginning so that healing can come about uh, you know, more quickly and efficiently. If I had just listened to this, this one concept that we're discussing, my four years of therapy with my wife could have easily been cut down to three, <laughs> like no problem. So uh, that's a, that's a critical piece. Uh, well, and it so, gets, it gets back to this thing I talked about a few minutes ago about, you know, women, everything's connected to everything. Mm -hmm. And so if there are issues that I'm not addressing because I'm afraid to address them or I, I I'm scared of what I might find, or he might, he might get offended if I bring this up or he might leave me or this is going to create more conflict in our relationship. So I'll just let it go. That's going to fester and kind of stew in the back of the mind. And what it does is it, it will prevent you from moving forward. There'll always be, there'll always yes. be this feeling that you can't progress, that you can't set the boundaries that are needed, that you can't do the things that are essential to go forward because that is it's just hovering like a shadow in the background. And so just having the courage and the trust to just bring it forward right now, deal with it, confront it, look at it. And man, that will make things so much easier and more productive in the future if you'll just look at the hard stuff today. And I know that, I know that can be scary, just as scary as heck, but man, it saves time and grief as we, as we go forward. Oh, thank you for adding that. I, I, I so agree. I, you know, this process, we may have mentioned this the first week and, and we will definitely talk about it more in the future. But, you know, as you're going through this process, recovery really does start from the bottom up. And what I mean by that is it starts with the self, with the individual. So many of us are geared towards jumping into, let's fix the marriage. Let's fix the marriage. 
And obviously there are things that have to happen with that. These basic safety outlines being one, but as you guys can, as you guys are starting to see, and this is to you spouses, to you husbands and to the coupleship, uh, we're going to teach you to how to hold boundaries, how to set boundaries, how to work recovery in a way where you can work your recovery independent from your spouses, even though that your, your, your mutual spouse, I should say, even though spouses, even though, uh, you might be, um, the things that you're doing or not doing are obviously going to affect the relationship as a whole. It's all about taking charge of those things in your recovery that you can, you can do surrendering over, as Mark said, the other pieces to it and focusing on self. Um, so kind of in that light, uh, with this establishing some basic safety, uh, this is kind of going to, this is going to build on those other goals we've given you so far. By now you should be journaling once a day. So mindfulness should be increasing. What are you feeling and why? Hopefully by this point in time, you're e you've either begun attending a 12-step group or actively looking for one because that, that support system is essential like we've talked about. Uh, but to kind of build on that, we're going to have you start setting some of those basic boundaries with self. Now, like I said, we'll talk about this more next week. But in this context, we're just going to keep it really basic. And so we're going to have you look at yourself and in five different categories, in the physical, in the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, and the sexual spheres, you're going to ask yourself uh, just one question. What does my authentic self need most in this particular area? There are going to be lots of things that you're probably going to need, but we're just going to work this week on if you were to triage out of all those things, for example, that you need physically or emotionally, what's the one that you can start working on this week, either with yourself or with your husband or in the marriage, whatever the case may be, so that we can start developing some of that safety um, so that uh, the marriage can start, you know, we can really work on this the way that we need to. Um, so I'm kind of leaving that open nebulously because we're going to build on this, but that would be a great place to start. It doesn't have to be terribly long, but I'd say maybe a paragraph on each of those, each of those spheres. If you start off with those uh, components and, and, and begin there, that's going to give us a good base to work from as we move forward. Yeah, I agree. Right. Just ask yourself, what's the one thing I most need right now physically? What's the one thing I need mentally? And you know, emotionally, spiritually, and sexually, just one in each mm -hmm. of those categories and write about it, write it down, and then start being mindful of that one thing that you need and, and paying attention to it and starting to get into this mode of taking care of myself because your healing is the number one priority. It's not your marriage at this point. It's not your husband's addiction. Your number one priority is you. Right. If you're on an airplane and the cabin pressure suddenly um, fails, what's the first thing they tell you to do? The oxygen masks <laughs> come down and you first secure your oxygen mask before you try to put it on the child next to you or help the other people. That's true. And it's so true with regard to this. I've got to secure my own oxygen mask and then I could be in a position to start looking at other things. But the you know, dealing with your own healing and your own, your own position of safety and well-being is the number one priority. Awesome. I love it. Um, we've got lots of good stuff uh, coming up, guys, as we continue uh, through these uh, various episodes that we've got on betrayal trauma. Honestly, we keep uh, extending out the schedule on betrayal trauma because the, <laughs> because the topics continue to get more in-depth and, we, and uh, we're going to base kind of how we go with that. Uh, in part on responses from you. So as a reminder to all you listeners out there, if you go to www.pbscpodcast.com, 
and go to the contact page. Uh, you can submit questions that you'd like covered on here on a future podcast, either about something we've already talked about or something that you would just like covered at some point in time. Uh, we love to tailor this thing to our audience and make sure that we're getting you the information that's most critical for you right now. And we know that that's ever changing. So please uh, give us a look at pbscpodcast.com and uh, we'll get going from there. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.